I am honored tonight to be in conversation with Brian Love Jordan. After more than 15 years in prison, a judge ruled that Brian should get a new trial, but then the Connecticut Supreme Court recently reversed that decision. And so Brian is joining us tonight to share his, his important and urgent story with us. And we are also joined tonight by civil rights attorney Alex Taubis. Brian, Alex, welcome to Mic Check. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you both so much for, for joining me for this important and urgent conversation. Brian, thank you so much for, for, for wanting to share your story tonight. And I, I was wondering if you could start off by talking a little bit about, about yourself, about, about your early years, about your life, um, how old are you, and uh, where you grew up as well. Uh, sure. Um, before I do that, I just want to thank Attorney Alex and you for allowing me to speak to you tonight about something that's um, very important to me, but to the public as well. Um, I was born in New Haven in 76. Um, I grew up in the New Orleansville um, neighborhood, also in a, in a couple housing projects, um, Quinnipiac and out West Hills. Um, I had a, a rough I would say childhood, but kind of typical to uh, my peers. Nothing uh, too different. Uh, a lot of addiction in the in the household, um, poverty, um, crime, and things like that. And unfortunately, um, I fell victim to that at a very early age. Um, but it wasn't atypical to to the environment, you know, that I was in. But that's that's kind of how I grew up. Thank you for sharing that, Brian. And I was wondering also if you could talk about how you got the nickname Love. Well, Love came um, in the neighborhood. We used to do like a lot of um, block parties and things like that, and we would feed the neighborhood and uh, a lot of the older. Uh, folks in the neighborhood used to always say that I, I spread love. So it used to be spread love was my name. And then eventually it just became love or be love. People started calling me. Well, that's, that's like where the name came from. Yeah, I have to say I, uh, I, I had read the, because um, Alex had sent me a really powerful Yale Daily News article that you're, that you were interviewed and, and, and you're one of the voices in. And I thought that was a really powerful article, and and um, yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, that's something that everyone should read as well. And uh, and so, Brian, what are what are some things you know growing up that you that you enjoyed and that you were you were passionate about? Well, surprisingly, um, school was something that I really liked. But just couldn't um, couldn't stick with it. But I did um, enjoy um, academics early. Um, but I, I ended up dropping out in the, in, the, in the beginning of ninth grade. But it was always something like reading and learning things and challenging ideas. Um, and all parts of, of of my life was always something that. I was um, into um, and speaking up for, for things and things like that. So 
it was on a on, not on a level with you know issues now that are going on that you're aware of, but at, at an early age it was, it was it really was academic. And and so um, can you? So I was wondering if we could transition now at that at that point uh, or at this point rather. Um, and I was wondering if you could, because I I know that you're. I just want to make sure we have enough time to for you to share everything um, that you want to share about what you're currently going through. And so I was wondering, Brian, if you could if you could talk about your your current situation and and what your you know what's and feel free to 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 give how you know however much backstory you want for this. Um, but in terms of because you're facing uh, a really serious injustice right now, compounded on to, on top of many other injustices that you've already faced and and gone through. Um, but yeah, I was wondering if you can if you can talk about that about what what you're currently going through right now, and uh, and and what's been happening. Well, we, um, and, and I was arrested. Um, over over 16 years ago, 2005, for um, a charge, I was charged with murder. I went to trial, pled not guilty, and went to trial, and was um, ultimately convicted of manslaughter and received a 45-year sentence in 2007. I served nearly, um, like you said, 15, 16 years of that sentence before I received uh, hearing at a habeas court in Rockville, mm-hmm. and Judge Quark, after hearing six witnesses that presented um, new evidence, testimonial evidence, which he felt was credible, overturned the case, and in his opinion, felt that the jury should have an opportunity to hear from six witnesses before making a determination about um, my culpability in that crime. Since that was in 2018 when that decision from Judge Court came out. Um, since then, I was held on bond, which I which I had a hard time making. Um, my family didn't have the money, so we, we could not make the bond at that time. But I received the bond, and I sat on sentence for um, for a few years, three almost three years, on sentence in the state ultimately appealed that decision. And Friday, the Supreme Court, in, in its opinion, feels that um, the habeas judge, as quote, made ultimately six errors um, in the decision and applying the law saying that it would ultimately have made any difference if the jury would have heard from any of the six witnesses. In their analysis, um, because it wouldn't have made a difference, they reversed the decision, and the, the case um, is on its way back to New Haven to, under the jurisdiction of Patrick Gifford, the state's attorney for this, for this jurisdiction, to make the determination on whether he will reincarcerate me or the other options that he may have. So that's in the in the... In a summary, that's kind of what the situation has been and what it is now. Wow. Um, 
first of all, I'm, I'm so sorry that you're going through this, Brian. And thank you for sharing all that, because I know it isn't easy. And no, it's quite difficult. And uh, Attorney Talbis, I was wondering if you could contextualize this a little bit and and talk about um, talk about what you know what Brian is is going through and and um, how, in your opinion, how often how often something like this happens, and also. Uh, you know what this means for Brian at this point, and and that larger context. Well, like like Brian said, the decision now is in the hands of New Haven law enforcement authorities, like Patrick Griffin, who has the power to prevent this miscarriage of justice from continuing, to prevent the reincarceration of Brian. But the larger context of this is how difficult it is for a black man in America to get a fair trial. And we know how difficult it is. Uh, we're seeing right now with the trial of the murderers of Ahmad Arbery that black people have no fairness uh, in the American system. And so what happens is even when it's conclusively proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, and a state court judge is willing to say this man did not receive a fair trial. Six witnesses to a crime where the only evidence in the crime ever was the testimony of witnesses. Six who the lawyer failed to call were brought up to Rockville, Connecticut testified before this judge, and this judge ruled Brian did not get a fair trial. Connecticut once again shows that it makes up the law as it goes along and will not provide justice to people of color. So it reverses the judge's decision, even though the justices of the Connecticut Supreme Court were not there at the original trial. They were not there when Judge Kwok made his decision to overrule the trial, they're just reading things on a page and deciding that, no, um, we're going to let New Haven, if it wants to, to reincarcerate Brian. So it's an outrageous decision, and it, sends, it should send chills down the spine of every listener that when there's such substantial doubt about a person's guilt for some of the most serious crimes and for a 45-year sentence, that the system will do everything it can to reincarcerate that man. In this case, great person, the person in Brian. It really goes to show how unfair and unjust our justice system truly is, how illegal and wrong it is. And every single listener needs to be aware of this case. And we need to be protesting it just as much as what we saw across the country last year, because this is how our system puts its knee on the necks of people every day. Thank you so much for sharing that, Alex. Uh, Attorney Taubus, thank you for for that important context and and for everything you just said, really. And, and Brian, thank you for everything you've been saying and sharing your story. And this is such a such a. And injustice, and like you said, Attorney Tabas, that it really is about about the system, and about and about 
the system being fundamentally racist and doing everything it can to reincarcerate people. And yeah, wow, yeah, what a- I mean the judge who the judge who ruled that Brian should get a new trial is no cupcake, okay? This guy rejects nine out of ten people who come in front of him uh, asking for a new trial. I mean, nine out of ten is generous, m- m- more like 99 out of 100. You know, this was a real miscarriage of justice where you had six people willing to come up to Rockville who were not brought in in the original trial in New Haven. You know, New, ha- New Haven and Rockville are not close, you know, to get six people to come to Rockville and say, wait, they didn't call on me in New Haven. And for the judge to think that's enough to overturn the case. Now the Connecticut Supreme Court, Justice McDonald, who's supposedly a progressive individual, to overturn that from his ivory tower. This is a huge injustice. This is a huge problem. And they're going to need to either reconsider their decision or the United States Supreme Court needs to come in and reverse it. Or Patrick Griffin, the New Haven prosecutor, needs to just simply say, you know what? We got 15 years of incarceration from this man. There are sincere, real doubts about this conviction. We're going to say that this is enough. Thank you so much for sharing that, Attorney Tabas. And if you're just joining us right now, the name of this program is Mike Check, and my name is Mike Murley. And this radio station is WPKN, Independent Community Radio, broadcasting from the campus of the University of Bridgeport, 89.5 FM, and streaming on the web at WPKN.org around the world. And my name is Mike Murley, and I'm joined this evening by civil rights attorney Alex Taubus and Brian Love Jordan, who after more than 15 years in prison was uh, was found to uh, by a judge that he should get a new trial when the Connecticut Supreme Court then recently chose to reverse that decision. And so Brian has been sharing his story, and Attorney Taubus has been sharing important background and context from a legal standpoint. Thank you both so much again for, for being on the show tonight and for joining me to have this conversation what can our listeners right now do to, to learn more and um, uh, get involved in, in advocating or in, in taking action? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult and it's a delicate situation. And, and um, I'm glad that uh, Attorney Alex brought up the racial um, lines of of how the justice system operates um, for minorities, which is mostly what fills up the criminal justice. Their their voices are silent, so I'm I'm not I'm not um, deaf to just being able to give a voice to something that um, happens, you know, quite regularly where people present a lot of evidence to these um, post conviction courts, and they are routinely um shot down in the dark without so much of a of a ripple. A lot of a lot of the power for me personally um is gonna lie in the hands of Patrick Griffin. Um he's gonna make the decision. So the more the more people that, you know, voice what they 
and they can find, you know, you can research on your own. You can um, find the decisions out there. There's, there's articles written. There's, there's all of this is public information. Um, but the more that people contact Patrick Griffin and, and express this um, to him, the outrage and the injustice that's going on, and the racist component of this, um, just the ideology of the criminal justice system and how it leans towards people that look like me and, and is and it treated so unfairly, because um, it is his decision at this point. There's there's, there's really right. there's really um, no other person. Uh, there's a judge that sits on a bench, but um, a t- a t- uh, Patrick Griffin can end this whenever he wanted to. Yeah, it's the prosecutorial authority. In Connecticut, the state's attorneys have so much power. They can throw people in jail when they want to. They can let them out when they want to. They can threaten people when they want to. Mike, you saw it for yourself the other day uh, in New Britain. I mean, these prosecutors are way out of control here. And when you've got someone who has there's serious doubts and issues with the integrity of the trial that convicted him, and where, where a totally neutral judge has said, wait a minute, this guy needs to have a new trial. The prosecutor's office should have the humility and sense of justice to say, you know, enough is enough. And so Patrick Griffin needs to do something. And uh, his boss, so to speak, is the chief state's attorney, uh, Richard Colangelo. He's supposed to be setting up a whole unit to look at uh, faulty convictions. Um, but the but the New Haven prosecutors, they need to do something about this case right now. So, you know, that's 235 Church Street in New Haven. That's the courthouse in New Haven. You can call them and ask for the state's attorney and say, what about Brian Love Jordan? And you can also tweet with the hashtag free be love because we need to get out the word about this case and what's going on here. Thank you both so much. So I'm just going to repeat that really quick. That is Patrick Griffin, the, the prosecutor who is in charge of the case at this point, in charge of Brian Love Jordan's case, uh, can be written to can be written letters at 235 Church Street in New Haven, Connecticut. And I'm actually going to pull up the zip code on that really quick so I can give that as well. And and then also on Twitter using the or or anywhere on social media, right? Um the hashtag Facebook, you can friend Brian, he's on Facebook. Um I'm I'm sure we're going to have petitions going around very soon about this. I mean, the decision just came down from the Supreme Court. Um, there's still time for his lawyers to file motions to try and get it changed or stayed. But, you know, this is the, this is the moment where things are really turning to be very dire. So we need action now. You know, in about 14 hours, the state's attorney's office in New Haven is going to open back up again. It's going to be business as usual, um, railroading people of color, putting innocent people in jail, threatening people with prison. So maybe we can get in the way of some of this racist terrorism and do something about it. 
So once again, that's Patrick Griffin, 235 Church Street, New Haven, Connecticut, 06510. And that is to send correspondence, letters urging action on the case of Brian Love Jordan. And I, I know phone calls as well can be made. Um, I guess there's a general line at 203-503-6818 for that, that courthouse. And then there's probably a directory or um, one can probably speak with the operator and ask for Patrick Griffin's office. You, you'll you'll yeah. be surprised at how hard it is to reach them. You know, they make it intentionally. <laughs> you know, if, if you're on there and, and you're a real fighter for justice, then you'll find you'll actually be able to get one of these people on the line. And I, and I will and I will commend you for that because they intentionally make it difficult to find them or to ever reach them or leave, even leave them a message. Um, and yet they're the ones who hold the keys to the jail cells in our state, and they really are the ones who decide who goes and who doesn't. And, and you know, they do it by divide and conquer. It's not about justice or finding out what actually happened at the time of these, you know, tragic events that lead up to cases and prosecutions. They just want to get as many people... Uh, particularly people of color, into prison through convictions and keep them there as long as they can. Most of these prosecutors have never even been down to the prisons to see what it is like, what they're putting people through, and how they're ruining people's lives, often for no reason. Um, really quick, Brian, could you actually, speaking to Al uh, Attorney Talbis's point just now, could you share briefly f for anyone listening who, who, like Attorney Talbis is saying, doesn't know anything about the prison system, has never experienced or been impacted by the prison system for themselves. Can you just share, you know, if you could speak to, to someone like that, someone who has no experience with the prison system, what would you say to them? Well, I, I, I'm still learning myself. Um, since, since I've been released, I, well, I'll say this, since I've been released, I knew what I lost when I went to prison. Like, you know loss. It's perpetual loss. Every day, every minute, you're, it's, a, it's a loss in some way. Humanity, your manhood, financially, um, family, spiritually. It's, it's continued attacks that, that you lose. You rarely win in a, in a, in a, in a carceral setting. And, you, and you're dehumanized. And ultimately, you lose your voice. You lose your humanity, but what I didn't know, and I and I had to learn when I came home, is what the effects of that is. So I I knew what I lost, but when I came out, I realized what the effects of all those losses are, and it, and it was very difficult to find my place back into my family, find what my role was, um, find how to how to love people and be open to people, not shut down. You know, so it's 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 a loss of a person that you were or could be. You may be very successful out here upon release from prison, and I root for those that are coming home. But you're not going to be the same person after going to prison. You will have to reinvent yourself, and you're going to have to accept some of the traumas that you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life because they they just simply don't go away. It's a very very traumatic place. It's a very racist place. Um, dehumanizing. I, I was in there during the COVID 
situation, and I and I seen the the positive cases in the cell were non-positive. I seen people dragged out of there in bags and laid out like they weren't human beings. I seen staff know that they were positive and bring it in, and 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 not care about you like you were an animal. So it's it's a place that you you won't see it because you're in the public, and you only get with with the corrections reliefs releases through media snippets and things like that and press releases but it's a very dehumanizing and cruel place to be and i survived it you know and many don't and, and you know i survived it so um it's a very dehumanizing place thank you for sharing that brian and can you talk about we have just a, a couple minutes left. Can you talk about your hopes and dreams for the future, Brian? Uh, since I've been home, I, I work hard to be what I envision what I myself to be. I'm proud to say that I'm a student of Yale University and a student at the University of New Haven. I'm employed at, at, at UPS. Um, I met a woman that I really love and, 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 and have move on to start a stable family unit with her. And I'm working on, you know, stabilizing my, my family and, and getting back into the to a role um that's more comfortable for everybody. So in that sense of so those those things may seem simple, they were very difficult for me. And I and my vision for myself is just to be that complete person. A person that, you know, goes to school, gets his degree works on issues that relate to mass incarceration and racial injustices and and, and things of that sort and, and have a voice in this field through what I went through and my experiences and what I feel are possible solutions to it. And and, and, and it's just simply that. Um, and I work hard at it, and, and, I'm, and I'm fortunate to meet people like Attorney Alex and, and, and the like that are also in this arena and, and, and are willing to um, give me an olive branch when I when I really really need it. But it is important though for me that those listening know of not only what happened to me and, and not this case, but the things that I am doing, you know, out here now to make not only New Haven but this 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 situation of mass incarceration end, and uh, and I'm actively involved in that. Thank you so much, Brian. We are just about out of time, so I just wanted to say civil rights attorney Alex Taubis, Brian Love Jordan, thank you both so much for being on Mike Tech on Mike Check tonight with me. And Brian, thank you so much for for sharing your your story and talking about your your the urgent situation that you're going through right now, as well as speaking about yourself and and your life. And I just want to say my heart goes out to you, Brian, and I will definitely be doing whatever I can to, to help and to continue to speak out. And again, for everyone listening, that's hashtag freebielove. And, and Patrick Griffin is the, the prosecutor in New Haven. Um, so Brian, uh, Attorney Tabas, thank you both so much for being on tonight and joining me. All right. Thanks, Mike. You can also, yeah, you can also find me on Brian Love Jordan on Facebook, which I plan to update. Um, starting tomorrow, just as I receive more information so people know what's going on. And I do appreciate um, 
to both of you very much.